First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Acts chapter 10, which was just read for us. And as you're turning there, I don't know how many of you remember way back in April or May when uh, everybody was under the, the lockdown due to the coronavirus. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw this, this show that came out. It was really popular online. It was by a guy named John Krasinski. Most people know him from the show The Office. But he put out several episodes of this show that he filmed uh, in his house. Uh, it was called Some Good News. That's kind of a, a shot of, of what it looked like. And, and, and uh, some friends of ours told us about it. He did a really good job with it. You know, during a time when there was just so much bad news going on, people were just hungry to hear anything good, any, any good stories. And so he kind of accumulated just some, some heartwarming stories, different things that were happening around the world and kind of worked those in to the show. Uh, those who have watched uh, our iCampus, as we have many watching right now on our iCampus, will know uh, right before we have this service, there's a countdown show that Pastor Aaron and Pastor Scott Terry do that starts about 9.40 or so. And, uh, and a part of that show, they have a little segment that Pastor Scott Terry does. And I don't, I don't know if he's from New Jersey or what originally, but he calls his show Good News for Use. Good News for Use. All right. And so, uh, but you know, we all need some good news every, every now and then. Uh, you know, I actually got some good news yesterday at like five in the afternoon. I, I, had, I had not been told Somehow I got through the whole week this past week without reading or, or seeing or anybody telling me that it was the daylight savings time. And so I would have been here really early, I guess, today, but uh, thankfully it went the other way and I've been here late. But, uh, but somebody told me, yeah, you get an extra, that is good news. Is that good news for anybody? Extra hour of sleep today? That was, that was good news for me. Uh, of course, the bad news is it'll be dark at like three in the afternoon today. So there is, there is that side of it. But, but we all need some, some good news. And if, and if you came in here today needing some good news, uh, I've got some good news for you. And, uh, and roll with me here, because I know this isn't a, a real word, but th- this message is about the goodest good news uh, ever. Uh, the best news or ever you could hear. Last week in Acts 10, we looked at the first half of a story about a man named Cornelius. Uh, today, we're going to finish that story. And for those who maybe are just joining us today, miss last week, here's a, here's a quick recap of the story of Cornelius so far. Cornelius is a Roman soldier, a centurion. He has come to believe in the God of Israel, but he hasn't yet uh, put his faith in Jesus, hasn't yet been saved. One day when he was praying, God sent an angel to Cornelius and told him to send for a man named Simon Peter. Of course, we know Peter, one of the 12 apostles. And the angel said, you send for Peter, he will come to you. He will give you a message uh, by which you and your whole household can be saved. And so Cornelius sends some messengers to uh, the city Joppa where Peter was at the time. And as the messengers are on their way to fetch Peter, uh, Peter is up on the flat rooftop of the house where he was staying, and the Lord speaks to Peter also. The Lord gives him a vision of a great big sheet coming down out of heaven, and it descends right in front of Peter. Peter is able to look into the sheet, and in that sheet he sees a mixture of clean animals and unclean animals, things that would have been uh, kosher for him to eat, and as we said last week, many items that would have been a non-kosher meal. And yet the Lord spoke to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
And three times Peter said no to the Lord. He said, Lord, I've never eaten anything like this before, and, uh, and I'm not going to start now. And yet the Lord replied to Peter and said, Peter, you cannot call unclean things that I have called clean. And so in that moment, Peter began to understand that the dietary restrictions that we find in the Old Testament were being lifted now under this new covenant age that had come because of the coming of King Jesus. But Peter also began to figure something else out. He began to realize that God wasn't just speaking about food, but he was speaking about something much more important than that. Because right after the vision was gone, there was a knock at the gate. And the messengers that Cornelius had sent were right there at the house where Peter was up on the roof. And the Spirit of God said to Peter, go downstairs, go with these messengers, and do not discriminate against them because they are Gentiles. And so Peter began to put it all together. And he began to realize, oh, God, God, you're not just talking about food. You're talking about people. Because up until that time, like any Jew of his age, Peter thought that Gentiles were spiritually and religiously unclean. That he couldn't be around them. He couldn't be in their homes. He certainly couldn't sit down at their table and share a meal with them without becoming unclean himself. But God showed him that that kind of prejudiced thinking was wrong. And God was about to show him a lot more than that. I said this message is about good news, and and of course the good news I'm talking about is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came and lived a perfect life, because he went to the cross and paid for your sin and for my sin, because he rose again on the third day, the good news is that we can be forgiven, that we can be saved from our sin, that we can live forever with the Lord. And here is what God was about to show Peter, what God wants to show all of us today in this story. The good news is good news for everyone on earth. The good news is good news for everyone on the earth. It's not just good news for Jewish people like Peter. It's good news for a Gentile man like Cornelius and uh, Gentiles like I'm assuming most of us are in this room. It's, and it's not just good news for me and you or people that may look like me or look like you. It's good news for everybody, no matter where they are from. Uh, it is good news to anybody who will receive it. That includes everyone in this room. That includes those listening on the radio right now, watching on the iCampus. It's good news for all of us. And so today, as we walk through this second part of Cornelius' story, and we think about this truth, that the good news is good news for everybody, I want us to discover together four truths about the good news of Jesus. And here's the first truth I want us to see in this story. God orchestrates meetings between people who know the good news and people who don't. And God orchestrates meetings between people who know the good news and people who don't. He, he does it here in this story, and he still does it today. Uh, when our story opens, Peter, who knows the good news about Jesus, is about to meet Cornelius and his family who do not. God is bringing all of this together to get them in the same room. Peter travels with the three servants that Cornelius had sent. 
we find out that Peter also takes six Jewish believers along with him. So altogether, there's 10 of them who are, who are traveling together uh, from Joppa to the city of Caesarea. They get there in verse 24, and Cornelius has been expecting them. Cornelius has already gone around his neighborhood. He's rounded up some of his friends and his extended family. He's got them all in his house, all in his living room. Apparently, they weren't in a pandemic. They weren't worried about social distancing, right? He just, he packs them all into the living room. They're ready to hear from Peter. He's so excited about what Peter has to say. So excited, in fact, that when Peter begins to come through the door, Cornelius runs out and bows down in front of Peter and begins to worship him. Now, this is really something to see. A Roman centurion, a high-ranking official who had a hundred people at his command bowing down in front of a poor Jewish fisherman. And he does so because he believes that Peter is treating Peter as though he is an angel or some type of semi-divine person. Of course, Peter is super uncomfortable with this. I remember on a uh, mission trip a few years ago to India that some of the folks that, uh, that I met, uh, as soon as we would come to their door and meet them, uh, they, w- they would begin to do the same thing. They would begin to bow down uh, in, in front of us. And of course, we said the same thing. Please don't do that. Please, please stand up. I'm just a man like you are. That's what Peter does here because the only person that we should bow down and worship is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we shouldn't worship anybody but the Lord. Peter comes into the house. He sees all the people there that Cornelius had gathered together. And right away in verse 28, Peter tackles the elephant in the room, which is that he as a Jewish person is standing in the living room of a Gentile, which is not something that any Jewish person of his day would have normally done. And so listen to what Peter says in verse 28 and 29. He said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Now, when he says, you know how unlawful it is, he isn't referring to any specific law in the Old Testament. He's essentially saying that this is considered taboo. This is against Jewish tradition and Jewish custom that I would be standing here right now but God has shown me that I shouldn't think like that anymore. I shouldn't view you as less than me. I shouldn't view you as unclean in some way. And so I came and so I'm here. Uh, But it's kind of funny in verse 29 though, he basically says, I'm here because God told me to come here, but I don't really know why I'm here. So can you tell me why I'm here, right? And so he asked them, why did you call for me? And in verses 30 to 32, Cornelius gives Peter the Cliff Notes version of the vision that he had received of an angel coming, telling him to call for Peter, to listen to what Peter had to say. And look at what Cornelius says in verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you've done well to come. And now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. I don't think that any preacher has ever had an audience that was more ready and prepared and excited about hearing the message that they were about to hear than the audience that Peter had that day in Cornelius's living room. They all knew that the message they were about to hear was, first of all, a message from God, and secondly, that it was a message that had the power to save their very souls. And so they were chomping at the bit to hear it. But again, what stands out to me here is how in control of all of this our sovereign God is. 
He's the one who brought this all about, isn't he? He's the one that used an angel to do it. He used a a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven to do it. He used the the, the Holy Spirit of God speaking straight to the heart of Peter to do it. He, He orchestrated all of this again to get Peter and Cornelius and his family in the same living room at the same time where Peter, who knew the good news of Jesus, could share it with Cornelius, who did not. And I know some may, may hear that or read that and you might think, well, why doesn't God still do that today? Well, why does God do these kind of crazy things like this that we're reading here and orchestrating all of this? But it doesn't seem like he still does that today. But, but church, God does still orchestrate meetings like this today. I came across a story last week of a missionary working in the Middle East in a dangerous area where many people were trying to discover the location of where this church had been meeting. And so this missionary was trying very hard to keep that location secretive so that nobody could find it. But one night there was a knock at the secret door, the entranceway to this church. The missionary, I'm sure, was kind of cautious about it, but eventually he, he opened the door and there was a tribesman who was standing there. And the tribesman explained that about three days before that, he had had a vision uh, telling him that if he came to this certain address, that there would be a man living at that address who could tell him how to get to heaven. And the tribesman said, are you that man who can tell me. And just like in this story, God used a vision to bring that tribesman together with that missionary where he could introduce him to Jesus. Now, of course, it isn't always so dramatic. The Lord doesn't always use visions and dreams and angels. Uh, No, sometimes he just puts people in our path who need to hear about Jesus. Many people call those, those opportunities divine appointments. You know, I tend to find out that the more you're expecting those and the more you're praying for those, the more they seem to happen to you. Those divine appointments where our lives intersect the lives of people who need to hear about Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that the sovereign God of the universe decided in advance where you would be living right now? He also decided who would be living to your right and to your left and across the street from you. And do you think that the sovereign God of the universe has put you where he has put you in your neighborhood, uh, where you know the Lord Jesus, where you know the good news, where the light of Jesus shines in you, and he has put you around some people in your apartment complex, in your neighborhood, who don't know Jesus so that your life would intersect their life and they might have a chance to hear about him. God is still in the business of orchestrating meetings and intersections like this. He does it all the time. The question is, will we recognize those opportunities when they arise? And will we be faithful to speak up? Here's the second truth about the good news I want us to see in this story. This is really, again, the main truth that God was teaching Peter, that God was teaching all of us. Number two, God does not discriminate. The good news is for all kinds of people. Listen to how Peter started his message in verse 34. What he said is so important. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. One commentator said that with those opening words, Peter swept away the racial and religious prejudice of the centuries. 
Because of the vision that Peter had had of the sheet, because of what he had just heard from Cornelius about how God spoke to him, Peter now knew for sure that God doesn't play favorites, that God doesn't discriminate. Now, last week, we talked about how we should not discriminate against other people, and of course, that's true. But church, the reason we shouldn't discriminate is that God doesn't discriminate. The reason that we shouldn't play favorites is that God doesn't play favorites. Peter goes on in verse 35 to say more. He says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, there's a couple of ways to misread what Peter is saying there. First of all, he's not saying that people are saved because of the good works that they do. The Bible is clear that we are saved by God's grace and not by our works. In fact, even at the end of this same message in verse 43, Peter says that faith is required in order for our sins to be forgiven. He's also not saying that Cornelius was already saved before he heard about Jesus or that uh, everyone will be saved no matter what they believe as long as they are sincere. No, that's not what the scripture teaches. What he's saying in verse 35 is essentially just another way of saying what he said in verse 34, that everyone from every nation is welcome and invited to come to Christ and to have their lives changed in the process. Paul said the same thing later in Romans chapter 3. Look at these words with me. He said, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, that's those who are Jewish, by faith, and the uncircumcised, those who are Gentiles, through faith. So the Bible says no matter who we are, it is by faith that we are saved But here is the key. We all can be saved. And that is really, really good news. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for so long that you can hear that and it doesn't really sound like that great a news to you anymore. And if that's the case, that is a tragedy. This week, um, I was... Uh, doing some car shopping. I brought home a car on, on a test drive and pulled it up in the driveway so my family could see it. I, I thought it was a, a nice looking car. And, and I had my family come out to see it. And, and one of my sons came out to see it. And, and I said, you know, son, what, what do you think of the car? <laughs> and he just said, eh. That was it. Literally, that was it. He walked away. I said, eh. What, I, what, kids are so hard to impress these days, right? But that was just about a car. Uh, imagine for a minute you loaded up your whole family and you drove out to the Grand Canyon, right? And you got to the Grand Canyon, you got all the kids out of the car, they go out to look at the Grand Canyon, and one of the kids says, eh, yeah, well, it's a big hole. And it's a, well, it's a big deal, right? I mean, you know, it's a, we, we, I have a feeling, though, that there are some folks who, who have been Christian for so long that you hear that truth, that you can be saved no matter what your background is, no matter what you have done, that you can become a child of God, that your sins can be washed away, and you hear all of that, but you've heard it so many times that in your heart, your response is, eh. And if that's the case, then we've forgotten a whole lot of stuff. One of the things we've forgotten is how far away we were from God before Jesus Christ saved our soul. And we have forgotten what the Bible says, that we are all sinners and that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death in a place the Bible calls hell. That would have been our future. It would have been all of our future except for what God has done for us in Christ. 
except for what this story is about, that God has opened up the door of salvation to all of us, no matter who we are, be it Jew or Gentile, whatever our background, that church is really, really good news and we should never get over it. In verse 36, Peter begins to share with Cornelius the specifics of this good news. And the good news is about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. Of course, we know that in the Bible, there's, there's four whole books of the Bible, right, that are about the life and death and resurrection of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Peter boils all of that down to just a few verses here, right? But this is a great summary of the good news of Jesus by one of the 12 people who walked with Jesus uh, everywhere he went during those three years. And so first of all, in verse 36, he says, Jesus is Lord of all. That's really the most important thing to know. He's the Lord of all. He says it's through Jesus that we can have peace. We can have peace with God, peace with others. He goes on to reference Jesus' baptism, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, how Jesus went around and he healed people, he helped people, how he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses to everything that Jesus did. In verse 39 and 40, he talks about the main reason why Jesus came. He says he died on the tree, which is the cross, to pay for our sins, how God then raised him from the dead on the third day. And he talks about how he saw the resurrected Christ, how he literally ate and drank with him. That means he wasn't a ghost, that he was really alive after he had been dead. And then in verse uh, forty. Two, Peter tells Cornelius that God the Father has appointed Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead. In other words, every one of us in this room one day will stand in front of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, and give an account of our lives. But here's the good news in verse 43 about that meeting. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. Friends, all of us are sinners. That means none of us in this room are ready to meet the judge of the living and the dead unless our sins have been forgiven. But verse 43 says, no matter who you are, your sins can be forgiven. They can be forgiven if you would just look to Christ and put your faith in him. Don't miss what verse 43 says. Don't miss that word whoever. The word whoever means whoever. Whoever we are, Jew, Gentile. God doesn't play favorites. His good news is for men and for women. It's for boys and for girls. It's for Americans and Venezuelans. It's for people living in Melbourne, Australia and people living here in Melbourne, Florida. It is for everyone, whoever will, can come to Jesus and be forgiven. I told you from the start, this is good news. Here's another truth about this good news. Number three, the good news changes our lives in a great way, in a life-changing, eternity-changing way. In verse 44, we find out that while Peter was still speaking, he was like mid-sermon, and the Holy Spirit just began to fall on all of those people who were in Cornelius's living room. Now think about that, right? Peter didn't even get to the invitation, right? He didn't crank up his portable CD player that he brought with him and play just as I am, right? That didn't even happen. 
right? He didn't, he didn't invite them to walk down the aisle. He didn't lead them in a sinner's prayer. He didn't do anything. The Spirit of God just fell on these people. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can't get saved by walking down an aisle at the end of a service and praying and asking God to forgive you. In fact, I'm going to give you a chance to do that in, in just a few minutes. But we need to also understand and see in this story, God can save anybody however he wants to. It doesn't have to fit into our our little cookie cutter way of how we think that people get saved. God can save people however he wants. And these people were just listening to this sermon and the Spirit of God fell upon them. Now it's clearly implied that they believed in Jesus, that they had faith in him. But they never had a chance to verbalize that. They never had a chance to say anything. But God knew that they believed in Jesus. And without a word, he, his spirit fell upon them and filled them the same way that it fell upon Peter and the 120 believers who were in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 on the day we call Pentecost. That's why many people refer to this story as the Gentile Pentecost. What happened in Acts chapter 2 was the Jewish Pentecost when the spirit of God was fell upon those who were Jewish believers. Here, the Spirit of God falls upon those who are Gentiles. That's why there's so many parallels between what happens here in Acts 10 and what happens in Acts chapter 2. One of those is that after the Spirit of God fell on them, they began to speak in in various tongues. It was an outward sign of the inward change of what God was doing in their life. Unlike what some people teach, this doesn't mean that people speak in tongues every time they get saved. In fact, that doesn't even happen in the the rest of the book of Acts every time someone gets saved. But, But it does happen here at this key moment in salvation history when the gospel is expanding. And now, for the very first time, a whole Gentile family is coming into the kingdom of God. It was evidence that the Lord God gave because he knew that these Jewish believers needed to see some evidence. They needed to know that this was legitimate. They needed to know that Cornelius and his family truly were saved, that they truly were filled with the same Holy Spirit that they had been filled with. In verses 45 and 46, it says the Jewish people who were there were astounded by this because they saw it with their own eyes. They received the same Holy Spirit that we received. And that's why in verse 47, Peter just comes right out with it. He says, look, anybody here have a reason why these people shouldn't get baptized right now? And nobody had a reason, right? Nobody could say anything because there wasn't any reason. They they were obviously saved. They were obviously followers of Christ. They obviously had the Holy Spirit within them. And so they were baptized right then and right there. What, What an amazing moment this is in the history of the church. Because other than the Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized in the middle of the desert beside his chariot in Acts 8, this is the first group of Gentile believers who are baptized as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the history of the church. They are the first fruits of the millions and millions of Gentile believers who have come to faith in Christ and who have been baptized in the 2,000 years since this took place, including many of us in this room. Because they trusted in Jesus, their whole lives were changed from this moment on. They had a new identity. Their baptism speaks to that. Their identity was now in Christ. They were now a part of the church. They were just as much a part of the church as Peter was or any of the Jewish believers were. Verse 48, it says they asked Peter to stick around a few days. Sure, they wanted to learn as much as they could learn from him before he left. 
I know in our church we're starting up a class right now called First Steps for New Believers. And it kind of hit me that Cornelius was enrolled in that class 2,000 years ago, wasn't he? He was like in the first First Steps class that was ever taught. And the Apostle Peter was the, was the teacher. That, I don't know who's teaching our course. They got a high, was it you, Pastor Dan? Got a high bar to live up to here, brother, but going to do a great job with it. But, but this is amazing, isn't it? Here is Cornelius, a brand new believer, learning from Peter about the first steps that he needed to take as he followed the Lord Jesus. And just like it was for Cornelius long ago, friend, whenever a person puts their faith in Christ, their whole life is changed, their whole eternity is changed, and they can take their first steps on that path following Jesus. Let's read the rest of the story. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. <clears throat> but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. We entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning, referring to Acts chapter 2. And then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Very quickly, here's the fourth truth about the good news I want us to see today. You can especially see it at the very beginning of chapter 11. Here's the truth. Some believers, some believers then and, and some believers now, have a hard time accepting that the good news isn't just for people like them. We don't know exactly how much time passed, but eventually Peter makes it back to Jerusalem. But apparently the news of what happened in Cornelius' living room beat Peter to Jerusalem. They had already heard about it. Verse 1 says the apostles had heard about it. While there is a debate about this, I don't think that it was the apostles so much who had an issue with what Peter did as this group of people that are mentioned in verse 2 who are called those of the circumcision. This was a group of Jewish believers, I believe they show back up again in Acts chapter 15, who were particularly concerned about keeping the Old Testament law, especially uh, Gentiles being circumcised before they could become a part of the church. And so they didn't like at all what Peter had just done. 
We don't know their whole argument, but we have just one sentence of it in verse 3, but it's enough to give you the gist. They said, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And their view, that was an outrageous thing for, uh, for a Jewish man to do, especially someone who was supposed to be uh, a leader in the church. And they confronted him on that big time. And, and of course, on one level, Peter uh, probably understood that just a few days before this, he thought the same way that they did. And he decided his best defense was just to tell the story of what happened to him, what God did, what God said. And so basically from verse 4 down to verse 16, that's what he does. And notice, this is now the third time that we have heard this story. Right? We we heard it at the beginning of Acts 10 when it was first taking place. Then we heard it when uh, Peter and Cornelius got in the same house and they told each other the parts of the story that had happened to them. And now in chapter 11, we're hearing it for the third time as Peter is in Jerusalem and having to defend himself to these Jewish believers. Now, why does Luke include this story three times? in the book of Acts, in two chapters. I think it shows us how momentous this event truly was, how important it was that the door of salvation had been opened wide to all people of all nations. Peter tells him the story at the end. He tells him how he was standing there again in Cornelius' living room when the Holy Spirit of God fell upon them. And then he sums it up in verse 17. He says, if therefore God gave them the same gift, referring to the Holy Spirit, that he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? The word withstand there is a word that means to prevent something. It's, it's actually the same word the Ethiopian eunuch used in Acts 8 when he saw that pool of water beside the road, beside his chariot, and he said, there's some water right there. What prevents me from being baptized? It's the same word that's used here. He's saying, I wasn't going to be somebody who was going to try to prevent what God was doing. I wasn't going to try to stand in God's way of what obviously is his will. And the implication there is that if these Jewish believers in Jerusalem tried to stop these Gentiles from becoming a part of the church, they would be standing in God's way. And that's not a good place to stand, is it? And so after hearing that story from Peter, it says in verse 18 that they were silent. They didn't have another word to say. And it says at the end of that verse, they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, now to be clear, just because in Acts 11, this group of people that Peter was speaking to Uh, got what he was saying and praised God uh, that the Gentiles had been saved, that doesn't mean that all of their questions about how Jewish people and Gentile people could both be in the same church got answered that day. They continue to wrestle with many of those questions. In fact, in Acts 15, we're going to get there soon, there's a big church meeting that takes place about how Jews and Gentiles can all be in the same church. And so they continue to wrestle with this. In fact, Peter himself continued to struggle with this. And there was a point later in Peter's life where Peter even reverted a little bit to his old way of thinking. He started kind of backing away from Gentiles. He didn't want to eat with them anymore, at least when Jewish people were watching. And in Galatians, it says that the Apostle Paul actually called Peter out on that. This is 
apostle versus apostle here, right? And so, and Paul said to Peter, Peter, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not in keeping with the gospel that you say you believe. You say it's a limitless gospel. You say it's for all people. But now, Peter, you're not acting like it. Now you're backing away from people that you should be embracing, that God has said you shouldn't call them unclean anymore. You remember that? And you know what, church? If Peter can still struggle sometimes with applying that truth that the gospel is limitless, that it's for all, we can too. And we talked about that last week. Sometimes we do. And so as we kind of wrap up this two-week journey of the story of Cornelius, very quickly, I want to just give us a few simple, practical steps of how we can live like we believe that the gospel is for all people. Here's the first one. We need to repent of all spiritual pride and refuse to look down on anyone. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about how we all have a sheet And into that sheet, like the sheet that Peter saw in his vision, we all have some groups of people that we've thrown into our sheet that we treat like they're unclean, that we don't reach out to, we don't embrace, we don't share with. Some of them we wish maybe in our heart, in our heart of hearts, that they weren't even here. And we talked about that last week, and we asked God to work in our heart, and we need to continue to let him work in our hearts. Because all that is is prejudice. The gospel is for all people. God loves all the people of the world and he wants us to love them too. And so it's not for us to look down our noses at anyone because they look different or they act different than we do. We need to remember that we needed God's grace to save us every bit as anybody else that we will ever meet in our lives. Number two, you can befriend people who don't look like you. All of our friends should not look just like us. Melbourne doesn't look just like any one of us. Melbourne's a diverse place. Florida's a diverse place. If we're loving everybody that he's put around us, then we should have some friends that don't look like us. Reach out to them. That breaks down the wall of prejudice more than anything. Just a simple act of friendship. Just loving people well. Here's another way we can do it. Number three, show hospitality to everyone. In this story, Peter does that, doesn't he? He takes these Gentiles into his home, and then a few days later, he goes into their home. I shared a story last week about a family in our church that invited a Muslim family into their home for a meal, and then went and had a meal in their home, and became friends with them, and had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Hospitality is still so vital in breaking down walls and giving us an opportunity to love people. Number four, we need to preach Jesus to everyone. There comes a point when we do have to open up our mouth and and share. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation, both for the Jew and for the Greek. And we need to not keep the gospel to ourselves because it's not just for us. It is for others. It is for everyone. It's for every man and woman and girl and boy in the Space Coast and beyond. And so we need to share with them. And then lastly, we can show we believe that the good news is for everybody by just worshiping Jesus because he can save anyone, including us. And if you already know Christ in this place today, I don't think there's a bigger takeaway than that. 
In the last verse we looked at, verse 18, that's what they did. They praised God. They glorified God. And we should too. We should praise him that he's opened up the door for us as, again, majority Gentiles in this room to come into his presence, to be saved, to be a part of his people. If you know him today, it means at one point in your life, he reached out to you and his arms were big enough and wide enough and broad enough to save you, someone like you, someone like me. And we should never stop praising God for that. We should never say, eh, to that. Because more than anything that John Krasinski talked about in his show, that right there is some good news. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good news. Your word is about good news. That even though we've sinned against you, you love us so much that you sent Jesus. Jesus is the good news. The Lord of all who came, who took on flesh, who became a man, who died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose again so that we can be forgiven. This is good news. It's good news for everyone. And so today, Father, would you fill our hearts with praise, fill our hearts with joy if we have experienced that good news. And Lord, as we move forward as a church, Father, would you help us more and more and more to be people who show that we really believe the gospel is limitless. Father, convict us where we have any prejudice in our heart, where there's any people, any groups of people that we're shying away from, that we're backing off from, that we're not engaging with, that we're not reaching out to, and part of that is because of who they are. God, would you forgive us? Lord, help us to love all people the way you love all people. To befriend them, to invite them in, to share with them, because you desire that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that needs to be saved today. That they would not leave this place without knowing that they know the good news. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 